0: Now, when it comes to leadership in the church, we're going to look at verses 1 through to 7 in 1 Timothy 3. And the idea is what it's talking about is that character and hard work are essential for anyone who wants to lead. I've had a lot of people through the years come up, hey, I want to be a leader. I said, great. What are you doing in your life right now? Uh, uh, and I said, you know what? We have a problem. So when God looks for leaders, He doesn't look for necessarily the tallest, the best-looking, the most articulate, or the most charismatic individual. Aren't you glad of that? Because not many of us would qualify at that point. See, the qualifications of leaders, as they're laid out in the Bible, are nothing more than what God expects out of everyone who claims to be a follower of Christ. God says, these are my expectations. This is the standard. See, biblical leadership is built upon the foundation of being the person God expects every one of his children to be. These are expectations. God says, this is what I want you to be like. What's thing, things good about God is that he lays it out. Cold turkey says, here's what I expect. It's nothing worse than sometimes going into a job not knowing what the expectation or job requirements are. Leaders are simply those men and women who are a little further along in the process of spiritual living than the rest of us. Because sometimes we say, well, sometimes when you look at church leadership and, and the guidelines that are in Scripture, it seems like how can we ever reach that perspective? But yet, the God's desire is to work in and through us, and that there's a sense that there's a progressive motion towards being more godly in my Christ-like life every single day. See, their character, their reputation, their life skills are often seen by others as being exemplary. They say, you you can take a note of an individual and say, I can see by that person's lifestyle that there's something uniquely different about them and that should be evident because when God is at work in your life, others can see it. And so they live out the rest of what for the rest, what others ought to be aiming for. Somebody says the real true character of a leader is as anybody following after them. If nobody's following, they're not a leader. And so our lives should emulate Christ like this and all that we say and do. So people say, you know what? I like what you have. I, I want to be like that. We start to look at chapter three of First Timothy. We see that the qualifications for church leadership are being enumerated in these verses. But before we go, we need to ask a pivotal question. It's an important question: Who's in charge of the church? Because uh, you find in many churches that people want like, who's really in charge? Who's really in charge? And sometimes, not necessarily the pastor, not necessarily the elders. It's who holds the power. Let me tell you, from Scripture, the one who's in charge of the church, biblically and scripturally speaking, is Jesus Christ himself. No one else. This church, which he bought with his own blood. This is not your church, nor is it my church. The church belongs to Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because sometimes we talk about my church. We talk about your church, but folks, it's not. It belongs to Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1, 20 and 23 brings this out. He exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. For above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come, and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way by the way, the church in the New Testament is never ever seen as a democratic institution where votes are being taken. I've often, I've actually pastored churches that are congregational say, Pastor, with the way we're doing, we're taking votes and everything, that's what Scripture teaches. And I said, I need to let you know, that's not the way Scripture teaches it. Oh. Well, we're being biblical, aren't we? I said, not really. And people are like, oh, great. The important question the elders always ask when it comes to decisions, even at this church, is what does Jesus want us to do, not what do our ministry partners think. Now, we do ask ourselves, what do you think? But the primary issue is always the issue of what does Christ think, what does Christ want. And so in this whole process, as we look at it, It's important that we subject ourselves to the Word of God and what it says, and here come the batteries, I presume. No, it's the PowerPoint, the technical issues. But again, when we look at this, we want to, as a church, say, we want to go, what does the Bible teach? What does it do? We're going to be in submission to Christ and discern the mind of Christ according to what does the Bible say? And somebody says, well, that seems pretty simple, not always. 1 Timothy 3, one says this. Here is a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Set one's heart or to aspire means to stretch oneself out in touch, to grasp something, to reach out, to desire after something. So they say, yeah, that's something I'd like. He said, that's good. See, men are always chasing after something. You know, sometimes they want a bigger house, better job. Pretty woman, faster car, bigger muscles, more friends, always chasing after something, right? Some aspirations are godly, some are not. Anyone desiring to give oversight to the church, Paul says, that's a noble task. Because I think to myself, how many people say, yeah, I really want to lead a church. And I sometimes ask them, do you really understand what it means to lead a church? And oftentimes I hear... I don't know about that. Why would you say that, Pastor? Well, let me run a few case scenarios by you. And when I do, they look like you have to deal with that. Uh, Yeah, we do. If you as a man desire to be part of spiritual leadership of a church, analyze these verses with yourself in mind. So now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Well, let's look at the term overseer. Scripturally, in the New Testament church, overseers are appointed either by men who planted the church, as in Acts 14.23, or the man who pastored the church, Titus 1, five. There was no congregational vote as to who ran the church. It was not done. I check, ask you to check Scripture when you come to that. The work, though, let's, let's look at the role of an elder. What does he do? He is to guard the flock, Acts 20. That means he used to guard the flock. When he sees something that's not right, he steps in and says, hey, we need to call that an account. If he sees that somebody's abusing a church member, does he call it an account? Yes, he does. He is to guard the flock. It also says he's to shepherd the church. One thing about a shepherd is not only does he guard, and he protects, but a shepherd is one who also is to lead the church. And you say, oh, How does one lead the church? A pastor or shepherd or elder leads by example. Because it's often said that you can't lead beyond where you're at. So there's a sense that a person that is a pastor, elder, same term, by the way, overseer, one who gives oversight, is one who is seeking to be like Christ each and every day because he recognizes that by his example others are following. We're to be an example to the sheep. 1 Peter 5 says that. We're to go to the sick and pray over them, anointing them with oil, according to James 5. We're also to be dedicated to the Word of God and to the Word of His grace. We're to also to preach and to teach. We're also to choose men for the work of ministry and missions, as seen in Scripture. We're to hear the status of the church and its ministries. We can look at Acts 15 and Acts 21. We're to have stewardship over what the church finances involve. We're to take care of the church. We're to rule what goes on in the church. And you say, and because of all this responsibility, the position must be held by men who are godly in their walk and in their prayer life. You say, that, uh, that sounds like a, a big challenge. And the answer is, yes, it is. It's a huge challenge. Because there are certain circumstances, situations that you'll be presented with on an elder level that the rest of the church will never know anything. Sometimes people will come up to me and say, Pastor, what about, what happened to so-and-so? And I said, it's, I'll just tell them, it's none of your business. And they get angry. I said, trust me, it's none of your business. It's been looked after. We've dealt with it. But it's none of your business. Because the congregation does not have to have a right to everything that goes on in other believers' lives unless you want to put your life on display as well. You say, that, that sounds authoritarian. Uh, no, that's protective. Do I want to tell you that there was a deacon that we had to remove from leadership because he was angry and drew a knife on his family? None of your business. Would you have to deal with it? The answer is yes. Has it happened in the past if under my ministry? Not in this church. you can relax. Who's got the knife? The answer is, yeah. What's it like as a, to deal with, as an elderborn to deal with people that are caught in immorality? Is that part of the, the, the challenge of being an elder in a church? The answer is yes. Have you dealt with it? Many times. Is it fun? I hate it. There's a man of God who honors the Lord, who shepherds the church. That's all part of what I call elder function. Confronting people that do wrong in the church. What about people who teach doctrinally things that are not true according to God's Word? Is it the role of the elders to pull that person aside, talk to them, encourage them, say, hey, What you're teaching is wrong. We need to talk about this and work on this. The answer is, yes, we do. That's why when it comes to the role of an elder pastor in a church, you need to know the Word of God. A superficial knowledge is not enough. You can't say, I know John 3.16. That doesn't pass. So you see, what I'm trying to portray is that the role of an elder, as seen in Scripture, is one who is... A man after God's own heart, a man who's committed to understanding the precepts, the doctrines of God's word, who seeks to live a godly life by God's grace so that his leadership is that which honors God. And so it says, now in verse 2, it says, Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach. Above reproach. What's that mean? There shouldn't be anything in his life that if discovered would cause people to reproach the man and the Lord Jesus and whom he serves. So sometimes we talk to people that want to become elders. We say, is there anything in your life that you should let us know that should have come to light would not be a surprise to us? Well, uh, and they they have the opportunity to share about those things. The big challenge that comes with the interpretation of the next aspects is faithful to his wife. The quality is second on the list in both Timothy and in Titus, pointing to its importance. The phrase that really he is a one-woman man. That's exactly what the Greek text brings out. The other qualities deal with moral or spiritual characteristics. I believe that the best view is that a one-woman man is a man who is intimately related only to his wife. He is a faithful husband. He is not a flirt. Nor is he enslaved to the sin of mental lust. Whether single or married, he has an extended track record of mental and physical purity in his life. And all dollar must be a one-woman man in thought and deed. If a church leader commits sexual sin, he needs to get out of that position of leadership. And that's seen all throughout Scripture. And so we need men that are morally upright in their lives. And that's only as the grace of God is apparent in their lives and they're living that day in, and day, in, day out. And you say this is sounding rather challenging and scripture is challenging my friend it is challenging because God's desire is that men be men of God that people can see godliness and Christ's likeness in we're not trying to pers- uh, paint a position of perfection there's only one person who's perfect and that is Jesus Christ himself but an elder a pastor is one who lives his life in such a way is that people can see godlike qualities in his life and they are growing each and every day. Temperate, the word means to be clear headed, mentally alert, able to make sound judgments. This is a man who has sound spiritual discernment in an evil world. He has the ability to discern good from evil. Self control, it means to be of sound mind, especially in the sense of. Not being impulsive, jumping at things. Sometimes I get accused. Uh, you don't make quick decisions. I said, only when there's a fire, a literal fire. Grab the fire extinguisher. Because sometimes when there's a push to make fast, rapid decisions outside of an emergency, you're not using your mental faculties to really stop and say, okay, let's really. Take a good look at the situation. Let's weigh the facts. Sometimes somebody will come up to me and make a judgment call on another individual and say, We need to do something about this. I said, Hold it. Hold it. Let's sit down. Let's talk. Let's find out what's really going on. We're not going to jump. So it says this idea of self-controlled. <clears throat> it's not one who's impulsive. It's not, it's a person who doesn't live by their feelings but by obedience to God's wisdom as revealed in His Word. Respectable, the, the idea that this characteristic is one of being orderly, decent, modest. And Again, this is a man that God, holds, that God holds in high value. This is the kind of man God says, I want leading, directing, giving oversight to a church. And yet you say, well, because there's a chance as you listen to all these qualities and characteristics, you say, well, thank goodness I'm not going to do that. And sometimes you can even shut your mind off and say, well, I'm not going to be an elder, I'm not going to be an overseer, so really, why should I even listen to this? Because, again, these qualities we're talking about are ones that God desires in actually everyone's life. Everyone's life. When it talks about being respectable, it talks to the idea of being orderly, decent, modest. It points to a person who lives a well-ordered, decent life in every area, so he's becoming... He's becoming to the Lord his word. He lives a modest life. He lives a life that is patterned after God. Hospitable means he's a lover of strangers. He's quick to open his heart and his home to others around him. He's not afraid to meet new people. He's able to make them feel relaxed and welcome. He has the gift of hospitality. He just loves on people. That's a characteristic that God says is to be in one who gives oversight to his church. Because if you haven't figured it out yet, all these qualities are found in Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the church. Okay. Able to teach. This is the one distinction that sets apart elders from deacons. The ability to teach. Paul means that an elder should know the scripture well enough to be able to set forth sound doctrine to refute error in kind manner without quarreling. You hear that? Without quarreling. Again, the, the emphasis again, an elder, an overseer, is one who knows the Word of God, who studies it, who seeks to know it more and more on a regular basis, who is given to the study of God's Word. He must be a man of the Word who also understands people so he can guide people into God's truth. This is what God's Word teaches, my friend. And since you never arrive at a complete knowledge of God's Word throughout your regular life, you need to be one that is continually seeking to learn to grow in God's Word on a daily basis. 1 Timothy 3.3 3 says, Not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. That's interesting. So Drunkenness, clearly in Scripture in Galatians 5 verse 21 says that it's a sin to be drunk. So I believe in the light of the widespread problem of alcohol abuse, Sometimes to abstain is probably the best practice. But however, I know the Apostle Paul told Timothy a little later on, take a little wine for your stomach's sake because, you know, it, it'll help you. Because some churches have actually gone to the stance, and I've pastored in such churches, that in order to be a member of the church, you need to be born again, you need to be baptized, and you can't drink alcohol, and then you become a member of our church. And that's scripturally, biblically wrong. Don't take Scripture out of context. Don't take Scripture to mean what it doesn't mean. And the issue is when you do that, you have now taken the role of drinking to the same status and equality as baptism and salvation, and that's dead wrong. I understand why they did that, because of the temperance movement way back when, but I still think it's wise to be careful about our alcohol. And it's interesting too, if, if a new Christian has a problem with alcohol and sees you as a mature Christian drinking an alcoholic beverage, and because of your influence, goes back to drinking himself and falls away from the Lord, the Scripture says you've caused him to stumble. It's always wise to be careful. A spiritually mature man will have control in every areas. And elders will be temperate, prudent, self-controlled, a fruit of the Holy Spirit as seen in Galatians 5.23. And since Christians should not be mastered by any harmful practice or substance, and elder should not be enslaved to tobacco, drugs, even to overeating, because it shows he's not in control. And we know not need to put down weed. Because <laughs> you say, really? Really. A spiritually mature man will be in control of the Holy, have the Holy Spirit in control of all those areas of life. He will not be given to those things. It says an elder is also to be a person that's not violent, but gentle. An elder must control his anger so that he doesn't respond to provocation by physical violence. Because sometimes I've been in churches where elders, men in leadership, responded with anger. And that's wrong. It's wrong. Have I ever been angry and responded in the wrong way at times? Yep, and had to turn around a few minutes later and say, hey, what I said was wrong. I apologize. That was wrong. I'm not perfect. I'm striving by God's grace to be perfect. I've had elders have to do the same thing. In a home, an elder is one who doesn't hit his wife or beat his children. If he has to discipline them, he uses control and does not abuse them. They hit a child, is never proper discipline in a home there's no place in a Christian home for physical violence you say hey does that mean no spanking? no you didn't hear it from here because I spanked my kids and yeah, I would get spanked too and and no it didn't hurt my character and my testimony and everything else but I think there's a way that we lovingly discipline our children and that we do that in that correct way so the other aspect to it says. An elder, a leader, is to be gentle. It points to a man who's gracious and does not demand his own rights. Hmm. He's not harsh in demanding extreme penalties. An elder must be a man that is softened by the grace of God so that he deals with people as God would deal with him. So, when dealing with people in the church, the body of Christ, that's the context here. How does an elder deal with things? He does it in a way to remind himself, that by the grace of God, that could be me. How would I want God to treat me in this circumstance and situation? It says also, not quarrelsome. An elder should not get into fruitless quarrels, whether over theology or anything else. He's not out to prove his manhood by force or authority. He's not a spiritual bully or an angry man. He is one who is given to being temperate in all things. And again, this is what God says. This is what the Word of God teaches. You're saying, this is kind of tough. But again, as you look at what God lays out for an elder that oversees the church, you say, is that the kind of guy I want running the church? You're probably going to probably go like, yep, yeah, that sounds pretty good. But you're going to say, well, who's going to measure up? And the thing is, no one fully measures up. You say, well, what? how does that mean then, Pastor? You're looking for a man who is humble, who is leading his family biblically, scripturally, who loves his wife, who is seeking by God's grace to live out, to flesh out. Christianity isn't something he does part-time and something he does full-time. It says also he's not to be a lover of money. Paul warns those who want to get rich fall to temptation and snare, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction in First Timothy six nine. It's not a guy that chases after the Almighty Buck. It's all about the money. Every Christian, but especially men who lead the church, must be clear you cannot serve God and money. First Timothy 3, 4 and 5 says, He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. For other words, if anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? That includes all aspects of his man's family life, his relationship with his wife, his finances. And so when I, as a pastor, as an elder in this church, along with the other elder, Jim, when we look for men, we look for men who, number one, they've got it right in the home. Because if they don't have it right in the home, they shouldn't be leading, period. He said, that's a hard thing. It's true. And so we have to look at a man and say, how is he leading his children? How is he leading his wife? How is he doing in that area? Because that's the acid test right off the bat. Because if he doesn't know how to manage his home, how can he have oversight in a church? So Paul sings out having his children in submission. An elder's life should be above reproach. He's a great dad. He's a great husband he loves his wife he loves his children and he leads in that way that people can see that yeah he he really uh, he's really leading well because you see if we don't do that the same weaknesses that make him a poor father can also make him a poor church leader if his own children disrespect him he will not have the respect he needs to lead a church and we look to the children respect their fathers. this should needs to be addressed is that for the elders' family is to be a priority. And you see, when you talk about that, it said, so as an elder and as elders in the church, we always need to make time for family. Somebody says, hey, can't you make it to everything going on? The answer is no. Why? Family trumps. Because if our lives with our family aren't right, then we're not qualified to lead church again. Interesting point, isn't it? And so the idea again, it's a huge qualification. First Timothy 3, 6 and 7. It says he must not be a recent convert or may become conceited and follow the same judgment as the devil. He must have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. See, a new convert could not have had time to develop these qualities in his life and see God work in his life. So we say, don't take somebody that's just a new Christian just been saved in the last year and a year and a half and say, now we're going to make you an elder that is a real bad mistake. And I've been in churches where I've seen people bring people into leadership who are novices, who are newbies, and it was a big mistake. Because when they start to deal with difficulties in the church and the challenges of running a church, and the, many have quit the church and no longer go to church. I don't talk too much about that. You already know what that's about. A guy who's a successful businessman and becomes a Christian is immediately asked to be an elder in a church? That's a dumb move. Just because you're successful in business doesn't mean you're fit to run God's church. It shows a lack of biblical discretion. When a man is elevated into a position of leadership too quickly, the scripture says he becomes proud, becomes overwhelmed, discouraged, and then he'll walk away from his position and even the church. That's why you want mature, seasoned men who lead as elders in a church that know what it means to walk with Christ through difficult, difficult times. And there will be difficult times when you shepherd a church. How do you know that? Hey, men, have there been difficult times? And looking after your family, don't raise your hands. I want to be, my wife gives me trouble. No, um, my kids give me trouble. Uh, yeah. And you see, when you're raising a family, are there difficult, challenging times as a father in raising a family? And the answer is, oh yeah. As by the grace of God. Because there's times even in raising a family that your children will buck you and they won't like you, and they won't like your rules, and they will challenge your authority, especially when they hit those teenage years, and sometimes even younger. Because people don't like authority. And so, his reputation, and knowledge reputation, should be one of moral character and conduct in the community. In other words, outside of the church, what do people think of this guy? Is he a godly man? Is he a man of character? Is he a man of his word? Is he a man of truth? Is he a man that people say, "Hey, that's, that's a reliable guy"? Because if his testimony in the community isn't good, shouldn't be leadership in a church either. No one should be able to point at him and say, "You know what? That guy in your church? Yeah, he's a hypocrite." He might be living this in church, but do you know what he's doing outside? You're like, "Uh, no." Great. So the devil's trap refers to a trap which the devil sets for church leaders by getting them to ruin their testimony and discount the gospel. Why is this message important? It's heavily important because, folks, today, if you read social media, if you watch TV, you watch, read the newspaper, men of God are falling like flies right across the continent of North America. You don't have to go too far to read about men who, because of financial impropriety, because of sexual misconduct, and I could go on and on and on, and I could name names, and I don't need to name the names, but you know them. Well, men, who are men that actually were men of credibility. there were men of, that built uh, big churches that had great impact in terms of their, what they did. But you know what their legacy is now? Everybody's going to remember them for what they did wrong, the one thing they did wrong now. That's why we need to be careful as to who we select. We have elder candidates fill out an extensive personal questionnaire to learn about their walk with Christ and their home life in this church. Nobody has jumped into leadership quickly ever. We meet, everything's always on the table. When we meet as an elder board, we do what we call share and care. Say, so what happens? Hey, and anything's on the table. Hey, what's happening in your home life? Oh, Hey, uh, la- last week, we this is not our church board, the church board I dealt with. I said, hey, you were having trouble with your son. Yeah, tell me, what have you done to rectify that and what are you doing to work on that right now? Because you said you were going to do such and such. Are you manning up? Are you doing what you need to do? You go like, really? Yeah, that's the first part of our board meeting. It takes about an hour, depending on how the situation is. You say, I'll talk to you about your marriage. Where's your marriage at? Where are you at in terms of spending time? When was the last time you had a date night? And by the way, just in case you're wondering, they get to ask me the same questions. And what happens in the board meeting stays in the board meeting because I believe leadership is reciprocal. We challenge each other. Are you making? Are you heading? Are you measuring up? Are you doing what God called you to? And if you're not, we don't kick you off the board. We we get together. We start praying for you. We try to encourage you in your walk with Christ because we want each man. To measure up to the call of God in his life. So it's the kind of maturity that God wants to produce in all of his people. In our personal walk with God, our family life, our relationships, God wants us to develop practical spiritual guidelines that produce spiritual maturity and holiness because we're leading his church, not just any business, it's his church. And He wants us to be above reproach. That's why I thank you as a congregation that you take time, you you pray you pray for me, you pray for Rose, you pray for Connie, you pray for Jim, you pray for the elders in our church that we might live holy, godly lives because it's vital. And we in turn pray for you as elders, as shepherds of the flock. See, elders should be humble men who are given to prayer. The Word servant leaders who are faithful in their walk and behavior before God and His church and passionate in their worship of God. I desire by the grace of God to live a life that brings honor and glory to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And next to that, what's vital to me is that my children see that dad Strives to be like Jesus. And next to that, and in the same line, I want my wife to see that I seek to be godly, Christ-like, loving, caring, but also humble enough to know that when I make mistakes, I own up to it, and I make it right. Hey, do I screw up? You don't have to look to the back row. I'll say, yeah, I do. And when I do make mistakes, allow God to work through my life and to humbly say to my wife, what I did was wrong, or I did this wrong, or I did that wrong. And guys, you don't have to put up your hands. We all say stupid stuff, don't we? We all do dumb stuff because we're thinking, we're not thinking like she is. We're thinking like, well, I just, whatever. And so the idea again is that as elders in the church, to give the spiritual oversight to the church, to lead the church in a godly Christ-like manner. You say, well, who holds you accountable? I said, God does. God does. When I die, and I will die someday, I will give an account when I stand before my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and He will call me into account as to how I led the church. And that's going to be a far tougher opportunity for me to be able to share what's going on because he already knows, that is to share before you what's really going on. Because I recognize that as your pastor, and Jim is your elder, that we will give an account to God for how we led the church. And so we ask for your prayers, but we also pray that you also would seek to be Christ-like in how you behave and what you do and seek... And you know, somebody says, Well, you think you know it all? Pfft, are you kidding? I've gone to Bible college, my friends. Yes, I've got a bachelor's degree. I have two master's degrees and a doctorate. So when somebody comes up and says, Hey, Reverend Doctor, first thing that hits in my mind is, like, What do you want? Because nobody calls me that unless they want something. And somebody says, Well, you've got all this education and you're, you're so. S-. No, I'm not. I'm not that smart. I've just realized by all that study how much I don't know. And I've recognized that regardless of all the degrees in education, the biggest thing I need, my friend, is not the degrees in education, but the biggest thing I need in my life is Jesus Christ himself. and That he would fill me with his Holy Spirit and that he would use me to lead his church in a way that brings honor and glory to Jesus Christ. I want God's way. That's why when I pray about this church, and sometimes people say, oh, I, I met a guy that says we were I was doing the kind of the walk laps around the Libro, trying to get a little cardio in. I know it's tough, but I've got to do some cardio. He says, uh Did you get talking to me and another couple I said, Oh what? I said, Well I'm gonna go back to the office. Where's your office? I said, Oh, I'm at Lighthouse Church. Oh, you're the guy that renovated and you're the guy I said, No, 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 no stop that. I don't wanna hear that. He goes like, What do you mean? I said, no, I'm not the guy that helped rebuild the church. I said, It's my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And I'm a servant, and as we have a lot of other people, but I said it's God primarily that gets the glory for what goes on here, not Adrian Neneber. I don't want the legacy. The legacy is God's. It's what he's doing. To God be the glory, great things he has done and will continue to do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your work to our hearts. Lord, the whole role of elder it's a unique one. It's a challenging one. And Lord, it's one that we should all ascribe to in terms of seeking that those qualities would be in our lives. And Lord, they're only in our lives as we submit. and Say, oh Lord, would you work in my life? Would you help me with the circumstances that are in my life that I know are measuring up? And Lord, that's, that's one thing we realize. We go to Scripture, we realize, man, I don't measure up. Lord, place within a desire for us to grow in the wisdom and the knowledge of Your Word. Help us to grow in our relationship with You, O oh God, because O oh God, we need You, and Lord, I need You, Lord, because apart from You, I can't do anything. And so, Lord, is my desire and I believe this congregation desire is, is that you would be honored and glorified through the leadership of this church and all that is said and done. For to you belongs the honor and glory. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.